Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be continuing on with chapter 12 of Reincarnation. The title of the chapter is A Doctrine of the Devil. If you're reading along, we'll be on pages 97 through 104. This is one of the most inconsistent ideas that could could be possibly entertained in the mind of man. It is called the transmigration of souls. That's by Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 93. An interesting confrontation occurred between the Prophet Joseph Smith and a man by the name of Robert, Robert Matthias, who also called himself Joshua. The man claimed to have lived before on the earth and that he was even one of the original 12 apostles of Christ. His doctrine promoted the idea that men can live on the earth and then come back again as another person. The story of this man was recorded by the prophet Joseph Smith as follows. Monday, November 9th, 1835, while sitting in my house between 10 and 11 this morning, a man came in and introduced himself to me by the name of Joshua, the Jewish minister. His appearance was something singular, having a beard about three inches in length, quite gray. Also, his hair was long and considerably silvered with age. I thought him about 50 or 55 years old, tall, straight, slender built of thin visage, blue eyes, and a a fair complexion. He wore a sea green frock coat and pantatoons, black fur hat with narrow brim, and while speaking frequently shut his eyes with the scowl on his countenance. I made some inquiry about his name, but received no definite answer. We soon commenced to talk on the subject of religion, and after I had made some remarks concerning the Bible, I commenced giving him a relation of the circumstances connected with the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, as recorded in the former part of this history, or on page 98 if you're reading along. While I was relating a brief history of the establishment of the Church of Christ in the last days, Joshua seemed to be highly entertained. When I had closed my narration, I observed that that the hour of worship and dinner had arrived and invited him to tarry, to which he consented. After dinner, the conversation was resumed and Joshua proceeded to make some remarks on the prophecies as follows. He observed that he was aware that I could bear stronger meat than many others, therefore he should open his mind more freely. I told Joshua I did not understand his remarks on the resurrection and wished him to explain, and he replied, that he did not feel impressed by the Spirit to unfold it further at present, but perhaps he might at some future time. 
I then withdrew to transact some business with a gentleman who had called to see me when Joshua informed my scribe that he was born in Cambridge, Washington County, New York. He says that all of the railroads, canals, and other improvements are projected by the spirit of the resurrection. The silence spoken of by John the Revelator, which is to be in heaven for the space of half an hour between 1830 in 1851, which, uh, during which time the judgments of God will be poured out. After that time there will be peace. Curiosity to see a man that was reputed to be a Jew caused many to call during the day and more particularly in the evening. Suspicions were entertained that the said Joshua was the noted Matthias of New York spoken so much of the public print on account of the trials he endured in that place before a court of justice for murder, manslaughter, contempt of court, whipping his daughter, etc. For the last two crimes, he was imprisoned and came out about four months since. After some inquiry, he confessed that he was really Matthias. After supper, I proposed that he should deliver a lecture to us. He did so sitting in his chair. Page 99. He commenced by saying, God said, let there be light, and there was light, which he dwelt upon the subject upon throughout his discourse. He made some very excellent remarks, but his mind was evidently filled with darkness. After the congregation dispersed, he conversed freely upon the circumstances that occurred in New York. His name is Robert Matthias. He says that Joshua is his priestly name. During all this time, I did not contradict his sentiment, wishing to draw out all that I could concerning his faith. (laughs) It's kind of funny. I do the same thing when people tell me things. Um, I want to hear it all. I'm not going to sit there and argue with them, especially if I think that they have had special experiences like me or that they're crazy. Um, And letting people talk is the best way to draw out what they really believe, especially if you say, oh, okay, that's interesting, you know, and you're like not closing them up to conversation but letting them speak freely and letting them be comfortable with you and I think Joseph Smith understood this this way of conversing with people to draw out what they really believe anyway continuing on with this uh, journal entry Tuesday November 10th I resumed conversation with Matthias and desired him to enlighten my mind more on his views respecting the resurrection. He said that he possessed the spirit of his fathers, that he was a literal descendant of Matthias the Apostle, who was chosen in the place of Judas that fell, that his spirit was resurrected in him, and that this was the way or scheme of eternal life, this transmigration of souls or spirit from father to son. I told him that that was a doctrine of the devil and that he was in reality in possession of a wicked and depraved spirit, although he professed to be the spirit of truth itself, 
and he said that that he possessed the soul of Christ. He tarried until Wednesday the 11th, when after breakfast I told him that my God told me that his God was the devil, and I could no longer keep him any longer, and he must depart. That's funny. It reminds me of some stories. I'll, I'll talk about them in a minute. And so I, for once, cast out the devil in bodily shape, and I believed a murderer. Anyway, that comes from Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 304 uh, through 307. So there was this guy that used to listen to my podcast in uh, 2013. Oh, let me think. I guess it would have been 2014 because I didn't start my podcast and that's the whole reason he came to see me but he lived in Philadelphia and he wanted me to baptize him so I was like okay well sure like come on out and I'll baptize you and we can visit for a little while but um, then you go home you know and anyway he came out and um I talked to him for a while, and and we went down to the Jordan River in Murray, Utah, and found a place, and my whole family came along, like my wife and kids, and we found this place in the Jordan River that flowed north towards the Salt Lake, and it was kind of, it was cold water, but it was July, I believe, and, um... Yeah, it was July. And anyway, there was a rapid spot that uh, I baptized him in that was kind of swift. And, like, I had to push him down into the water. And then, anyway, I blessed him and everything. And, like, he came with us to a, a uh, camp out that Kevin Kraut used to hold. And uh, he was very upset about being around polygamists, which... Um, I talked about this stuff on my radio show like he should have known, but whatever. Anyway, I um, I asked him why he thought that I should baptize him. He said, well, you fit the description of the one in the Dead Sea Scrolls. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, like the prophet at Qumran talked about a red-haired prophet who would do many travels and... Like he talked, like the Dead Sea Scrolls talk a lot about the last prophet's life, according to the prophet at Qumran. And anyway, but he said I fit the description, and uh, that's the first time I knew about that. But anyway, in getting to know this guy uh, over the course of about a week, um, I had a really bad feeling about him, and um, and he's part of the reason why I don't invite people to my home anymore especially people I don't know and um, eventually I sent him on his way, dropped him off at the airport and the last I heard from him was that he was in Jerusalem stirring up trouble over there he believed himself to be the reincarnation of Michael, the archangel I guess and um, I found out that he had spent 10 years in prison for an attempted murder on his ex-wife and her boyfriend. So, yeah, I know, it's like, 
little tangent to the story, but I've had my own Matthias's pop up from time to time. Anyway, um, it just reminded me of that story. I'll continue reading. That same year, oh, 1835, William L. Stone read a book entitled Matthias and His Impostures about the life and beliefs of this notorious man whose actual name was Robert Matthews. That's kind of funny. I think that's a BYU professor that that has recently been, you know, a big guy on campus. Or a professor or something. Anyway, Stone states that Matthews was about 45 years old at the time that he met Joseph Smith. So Joseph Smith thought that he was 50 or 55. I'm actually 45. I'll be 46 next year since it's the last part of the year right 2023 anyway he was an orphan at an early age and had two brothers was married until 1813 was broke in a or went broke in a mercantile business venture and joined a scottish church where he had some personal difficulties with the minister he had an increasing interest in religious matters and finally met Reverend Kirk, to whom he became very strongly attached and adopted many of his doctrinal views. And we're on page 100 now. Among Matthias's religious teachings was that strong drinks and meat should be avoided and that the main source of food should be bread, fruits, and vegetables. He claimed this information was given to him in a revelation About this time, he grew a beard and began to preach, prophesying that Albany, New York, would be destroyed and urged people to leave. It was now that he assumed the name of Matthias and gave out that he was a Jew. So he's lying. Well, he could be a Jew. I mean, I have Jewish ancestries, but I don't consider myself primarily a Jew. I'm an American, for one, but... um, my grandmother was Jewish, um, you know, and like this guy may have had Jewish ancestry as well. Who knows? Um, he then departed upon his mission for the conversion of the world. From thence, he turned his steps to the southeast and traversed the states of Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee, Georgia, and commenced preaching to the Indi- Indians. Matthias and his impostures, pages two. Uh, 29 and 30. Matthew Matthews collected a small following of members to whom he taught to abstain from costly articles of dress or furniture, to drink neither tea or coffee, and in short, to deny themselves of all the luxuries and most of the comforts of life. And that's from the same book that we just quoted from page 50. He also taught them to fast one or two days a week. He met a Mr. Elijah Pearson, who began preaching in June of 1830, and among his teachings was a belief in reincarnation. Elias, as everybody knows, was only another name for John the Baptist. So this, I think this is in this book, I'm not exactly sure. 
And hence he concluded that the spirit of John the Baptist had taken up his abode in him and that he was a forerunner of Matthias. And that comes from the same book, page 106. When Elijah Pearson met an old friend, Mr. Harvey, he was greeted by another person mentioned only as MHS and was told by him that he, Elijah, was John the Baptist, on page 101. The following conversation took place. Mr. Harvey, is that the gentleman to whom you alluded as being the Shiloh? MHS, oh no, sir, this is John the Baptist, who is not worthy to unloose even the shoe latchets of the one who is upstairs. On approaching yet nearer to the grotesque and demeanor-looking gentleman and scrutinizing him closely, the dialogue was continued. Mr. Harvey, why do you... Why, you are my old friend, Pearson, whom I have, uh, friend Pearson, whom I have met abroad, surely, surveying him yet more closely, you are Elijah Pearson, nothing more or less, and do you presume, presume to say that you are the veritable John the Baptist? Surely you do not pretend to say that this head upon your shoulders, laying his hand on his head is the very identical head that was taken off by Herod and brought to his daughter in a charger. MHS, the very same. Mr. Pearson, no, I do not mean to be understood as saying that this head of mine is the very same head that is that was cut from the body of John the Baptist, but I mean to say that the spirit of Elijah Pearson leaving this tabernacle, significantly pointing to his heart, and the spirit of Elijah the prophet thereupon entered and abode for a while. And now that spirit of John the Baptist has taken the place of Elijah, and therefore I may justly be considered and am, in fact, and to all intents and purposes, John the Baptist. And that comes from that same book, page 125. This same Mr. Pearson claim, claiming to be John the Baptist was laser, later supposedly killed by this Matthias, who was the Apostle Matthias, it didn't sound characteristic of two great spirits from the past. In April of 1835, Matthews was arraigned for the murder of his friend, Mr. Pearsons, supposedly on the basis of evidence that he gave him a deadly substance, which was found in the stomach of his friend. So we're on page 102. The two had been having some disagreement about tilling the ground when Pearson began to grow, go into convulsions from poison. Matthias said it was caused by 50 doubles, and the judge told the jury that there was no evidence that Matthews had given any poison to Pearson's, so the jury returned the verdict of not guilty. But as soon as that was over, he received another indictment for, for assaulting his 18-year-old daughter, Isabella, Lanesdale with a whip. A rather humorous incident occurred when Matthias met a man and began to explain that he was Matthias, the ancient apostle. Mr. F., said he, how long do you think you have been upon this earth? Indeed, I have no idea, sir, was the reply. Well, I will tell you, rejoined the prophet, more than 1,800 years. Mr. F., 
knowing nothing as to the predict peculiarities of his character at the time, it may be imagined was somewhat surprised at so extraordinary an enunciation, and scanning him from top to toe, involuntarily explained the... I don't know what this is. D, and then there's like four letters in D. I think... I think the reason it's blanked out is because... I'll just say what I think it is. The damned you have, you tell, you do you tell me so? I do. Observe, observe the other. Then all you have to do is say that you are remarkably good-looking fellow for one year age. Matthias put on one of his sardonic grins, and with an indignant scowl replied, "You are a devil, sir," and walked immediately away. Anyway, that comes from the same book that we've been quoting from recently, page 276. Oh, man. The case of Matthews or Matthias claiming to be an ancient apostle has been well known throughout church history and labeled the doctrine of the devil. Some of the authorities have commenced on this historical incident, four of which are included here. So this is Joseph Fielding Smith. Christ was born at a babe at Bethlehem, and that is where he got his body. The only physical body or body of flesh and bone that he ever had or ever will have. And that's, uh, we're on page 103. And this is obviously um, Joseph Fielding Smith, uh, his opinion. Uh, Of course, if you're new to this podcast... I don't believe that anyone but the prophet Joseph Smith was the Lord's anointed. And uh, I believe that there are many prophets, but I believe the ones who claim to be prophets most often are not prophets, especially in the Mormon church. And that the Mormon church was rejected in Nauvoo, as is spoken of in Doctrine and Covenants section 124 which I've gone to in the past and won't go into in this program today. Anyway, continuing on with the thoughts of uh, Joseph Fielding Smith. The doctrine of reincarnation is, says the prophet Joseph Smith, the doctrine of the devil. Of course, the devil will teach people any doctrine that will contradict the truth. And that is written in his book, Doctrines of Salvation, volume 8, page 18. So continuing on, reincarnation is is the doctrine of devils according to the prophet Joseph Smith and there is nothing in the scriptures or in the gospel that teaches such a doctrine but to the contrary we are taught that each individual rise in the resurrection to die no more and that comes from the improvement era of 1914 volume 17 page 993. And that is a church uh, publication by the Brighamite Church out in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, Bruce R. McConkie, who was an apostle in that church, said that reincarnation or the transmigration of souls, the rebirth of the same spirit in new bodily forms in successive ages is a false doctrine originating with the devil. And he quotes uh, teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, pages 104 and 105. 
It runs counter to the whole system and plan of salvation where under spirits are born in pre-existence are permitted to pass through a mortal probation then come and then in due course become immortal, incorruptible, and eternal in nature. And that comes from Bruce R. McConkie's book, Mormon Doctrine, page 624. John A. Witzow contrasts these feeble and lame and incomprehensible explanations with the true doctrine of pre-existence as taught in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reincarnation fails utterly to comprehend the meaning of the human body. Reincarnation rests upon an unsound foundation, hence is dangerous and should be avoided. And that comes from his book, page 366. The continuous changing of bodies makes the resurrection in any redeemable act unnecessary. It places the Christ in a class of fakers. A Christian cannot believe in the reincarnation. And that comes from his book, Evidence and Reconciliation, which was printed in 1960, page 369. James E. Talmadge quoted, or quoting James E. Talmadge, The false doctrine of the transmigration or reincarnation of spirits was repudiated by the Jews. And that comes from his book called Jesus the Christ, page 375. And that's like one of my favorite books. I've probably read it 8 to 10, maybe 12 times, like cover to cover. Uh, I love that book. But there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, stuff in there that's not exactly true. But anyway, I'm not going to get into that right now. But it's still a really good book. Um, and in fact, that book is where I learned, and I think it's on page 35 of Jesus the Christ, or somewhere really close to that page, where James E. Talmadge talks about how Jesus' name is a transliteration of the Hebrew name of Yeshua, and that his mother probably called him Yeshi as a child. Um, I actually got into an argument with my bishop one time when I talked about that, and uh, he said, oh, his name's Jesus. And I said, there's no J sound in the Hebrew alphabet. And he said, well, the apostles say that his name is Jesus. And I don't care what evidence you have. And I said, well, I got that from uh, the book, Jesus the Christ, which was, which was written by an apostle, James Talmadge, in the Salt Lake Temple. And he says, well, I don't care what past apostles have said because... The only apostles that we have to listen to today are the true ones in Salt Lake City, Utah, that are living right now. And I was like, okay, I'm just not going to even have a conversation with you about this. Like, I just was, you know, quoting something that James Talmadge wrote in Jesus the Christ, and I thought it was interesting. And, uh, like, at the time, I don't know what it is now, but, like, when I went out, uh, out as a missionary, they recommended taking a number of books with us and Jesus the Christ was one of the books that we were told to take so that we could prepare to be better missionaries so whatever I just the the guy that um that was a bishop was uh he was a lackey for the church like it didn't matter what anybody else said whatever the church says is what goes even if the evidence 
is contrary to what and the church never said anything like okay so we call him Jesus Christ but in Mexico they call him Jesus like in different countries his name isn't Jesus we transliterate his name out of the Hebrew into the English and then from the English it goes out to the rest of the world because the prophet Joseph Smith spoke English you know so whatever it's just I don't even know what to say. I, some people, you can't even have a conversation with them. But anyway, we're on page 104, and we're 89% through the reading for today. There were a few individuals in the early days of the church who did believe in the transmigration of spirits to be born again and again. Although transmigration has no has no counterpart counterpart in orthodox mormon theology it was central to the teachings of charles b thompson a mormon who withdrew from the leadership of brigham young when he moved west joseph morris in the saga of the morrisites by c leroy anderson page 39 so uh the morrisites there was a joseph morris was a member of the church in the days of Brigham Young and he professed to be a prophet like Joseph Smith and moved up to Ogden and had a following of apostate Mormons um, who Brigham Young sent the Mormon battalion after and they actually shot a cannon through the house that they were meeting in and killed, I think, Joseph Morris and a bunch of other people. Uh, Mormon history you're not going to learn about unless you go look up the records, as my friend did, uh, that are um, held at the University of Utah about Joseph Morris and the Morrisites. So, anyway, continuing on. In April of 1850, Thompson received a revelation that explicitly contained the principle of regeneration or the transmigration of souls. And now, quote, Now behold, I say unto you, my servant Charles B. Thomas, in which is regenerated my dear son Ephraim, my firstborn, from the voice of Benny, Benemy, I guess. And that comes from that same book we're just quoting from page 40. Joseph Morris also received a revelation that Seth filled his second mission in the person of Moses. Okay, so according to his revelation, the the son of Adam and Eve, whose name was Seth, uh, was also Moses and was also the person of Joseph Morris. So Joseph Morris received a revelation that he was Moses and Seth, the the child of Adam and Eve, I guess. And I think it said earlier that he also thought he was Ephraim. Anyway, that comes from The Spirit Prevails, Joseph Morris, page 644. It is interesting to note that these persons who believed in regeneration, transmigration, or similar doctrines were always being fed revelations. If such a doctrine was of the devil, as Joseph Smith said, then the source of these revelations supporting that doctrine is obvious because the experience that the prophet Joseph Smith had with a man who claimed to have lived before 
we have his final words on the subject. It is a doctrine of the devil, and this should suffice. Anyway, that's the end of that chapter. When we come back, we'll be on page 105, chapter 13, Paradise, a World of Spirits. So, I did want to talk a little bit about some of my own thoughts and, and ideas and some of the stuff that has gone on in my life. So I've had people who have claimed to receive revelations that I was the spirit or that I was reincarnated as the spirit um, of Enoch, the one who before the flood had a city who was taken up into heaven. Um, I am the reincarnation of Elijah who later became John the Baptist and now is on the earth, and that I was supposed to help this individual uh, be the one mighty and strong, and that I was already an exalted man who came back into mortality on the earth, even though um, I believe that after you become exalted, you go no more out of the, resurre- or of the resurrection and become immortal on the earth again. Anyway, but, like, I've had these individuals different ones from time to time try to tell me that i am joseph smith or that i am john the baptist or that i am elijah or that i'm enoch and i think that's all of the ones i'm pretty sure that's all the ones and like i've had people tell me multiple times that i'm the same individual um multiple times over the course of 10 years Every once in a while, somebody will be like, hey, you're Joseph Smith, or you're John the Baptist, or whatever. And I don't know about all of that. And I don't care about all of that. Because right now, my name is Mark Lichtenwalter. And right now, I am doing a job that God has asked me to do in being a witness Um, testifying of the reality of the resurrected father and son who both have bodies of flesh and bone who I have felt and uh, embraced in the flesh in 2013 and uh, my job is to teach my job is also to call a gathering my job is also to support myself and my family to be a good husband and a good father and a good worker and co-worker and take care of the stewardships that God has given me. My job is also to take care of my livestock and this farm that God has given me. You know, like whether or not I lived as another individual, I don't know. God has never revealed any of that to me. As I've talked about in the past, I, I studied out reincarnation and I found some really good evidence for it. But when I took it to the Father, he told me that the evidence that I had was actually incorrect because the person who thought that he was the other person in a previous life was actually a ministering spirit. And so he remembered things that he had seen while assisting this other individual in his mortality while this person was was a spirit, not not with flesh, and that he assisted this individual in his mortality and watched all these things happen, but he was not the same spirit. 
But then God revealed to me, and this was in 2010, I believe, maybe maybe it was 2000, I think it was the fall of 2010, because I'm trying to think, I think I was in Washington, I lived in Everett, Washington at the time. Anyway, I um, God revealed to me that we are damned in a state of resurrection, like, so we go through this life, we die, we're in the spirit world, Eventually, we become resurrected, and unless we're exalted, we're damned in a state of resurrection. But at the end of the cycle of this earth, when when he will create a new earth, and this uh, this earth will become part of the heavens or the Shamaim, that we will have the opportunity to put off the damned resurrected bodies that we have obtained from this earth, and we will be able to become spirits again and go on to a new earth with a new savior not jesus whoever god the witness is on this world will become a redeemer on that world and jesus will actually become a father because he paid for our sins and transgressions in the garden of gethsemane and we're bought with the price of his blood and he becomes our father through the law of adoption and it talks about that a little bit in the book of mormon that's why he says that he is both the father and the son but that he has a father, and that's why um, when he talks about, like with Mary, hold me not, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go unto my brethren and say unto them, I ascended to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God, speaking of two different individuals above him, but also in the book of Revelations where it says, Jesus Christ hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father showing that there is a a god or a father above jesus christ and that that father has a father above him and i'll just tell you who they are they are michael the archangel who was our father in the flesh but also through the law of adoption because he was a redeemer on an older earth and on that older earth, Jesus Christ was God the witness or the Holy Ghost for that world. And that for this world, Jesus Christ ascended in the path of exaltation and became the redeemer for this world and paid for our sins, thus becoming both the Father and the Son. And that we who follow him do so as his children and he becomes our father that's how he's called the father and the son it no, has nothing to do with trinitarianism or anything like that and that at the end of this earth cycle when john the revelator in the book of revelation sees the new heaven and the new earth that what he's seeing is the next world that we will all migrate to and that this earth, as John saw, becomes a fire of sea and glass, even a great Urim and Thummim, or a celestial sphere. And this earth becomes a heaven, or part of the Shamaim, and it joins with the heavens. And that we do not remain in this on this earth after that happens, and lest we're celestialized. But that we are damned in a state of resurrection unless we are exalted. And that we have the opportunity when the new earth is created to put off our resurrection and go on to a new world. And this is how we progress.
This is how we do not stay in a damned state. If we stay in the resurrected bodies that we're given at the end of the cycle of this earth, we will be damned for all eternity. But that the secret, as the Father revealed to me, was that we put off our resurrection. So he told me that there was more to it, but at that time he did not tell me what it was. But so past that, I haven't gotten any revelation. I do not know if there are circumstances where some of us are allowed to return. There is a group of people who I associate with. I'm not part of their group, but I like them. And they um, they believe that Joseph Smith was promised many things that did not happen and that he will come back again and walk in mortality on the earth and be the Davidic servant. Now, I have a problem with that, but um, I have a problem with Joseph Smith being the Davidic servant because I believe that Joseph Smith is Shiloh. And let me expand upon that thought that I believe. So in Genesis chapter 49, it states that the scepter of power will not depart from Judah or from the tribe of Judah until Shiloh comes. So Shiloh is not of the tribe of Judah the way the Davidic servant is. The Davidic servant is is Judah, right? Is part of the tribe of Judah. Well, some people believe that Jesus Christ is Shiloh. But if that were the case and he held the keys of power... He held them as a Jew or a a member of the house of Judah. And the scepter of power did not depart from Judah when Jesus held the keys because he was part of Judah. And that goes the same with Peter, James, and John, that they held the scepter of power or the keys of authority on the earth until they died, uh, although John the Revelator never did die. And he held those keys as the president of the church on the earth during the full ministry and term from the from the death of the rest of the apostles as a translated terrestrial being on the earth until the time of Joseph Smith. And that he transferred those keys with Peter and James or I think his name was Yochanan. James wasn't his name. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So Peter, James, and John gave the scepter of power or the keys of authority to Joseph Smith, who was a pure Ephraimite. And the keys departed from the house of Judah when Joseph Smith received them because Joseph Smith is Shiloh. And the prophecy in Genesis chapter 49 where the scepter of power would not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, happens when Joseph Smith received the keys of authority in, I think, 1829. So I believe Joseph Smith is Shiloh. Now, people believe that Joseph Smith is a Davidic servant, but the problem with that is the Davidic servant is of the house of Jesse, who was a Jew... And of the house of Judah. Well, Joseph Smith was not of the house of Judah, or who else? Who who's the Davidic servant? 
And, you know, these these individuals who believe that Joseph Smith is a Davidic servant, they have to jump through all kinds of uh, gymnast, mental gymnastics to come up with the fact that Joseph Smith is really a, a Jew, not an Ephraimite, even though the birthright goes to Ephraim. So I believe that the, the Davidic servant will be of the house of Judah and of the house of Ephraim, both of, of Ephraim and Manasseh, who was of the tribe of Joseph, or the sons of Joseph. And um, that Joseph Smith, if he does return, will return as a, as a heavenly being to assist the Davidic servant in doing whatever he needs to do on the earth to do whatever he needs to do. And that's just a possibility. I don't know. I hope that Joseph Smith returns to help out. But I, I'd rather... Well, Joseph Smith had a whole bunch of prophets to help him out. So I'm hoping that the Davidic servant has a lot of help from the other side of the veil. Uh, not only God the Father, but also whatever help wants to come along to help with the process of uh, of gathering the remnant and leading them into the uh, highways of the top of the mountains as Isaiah saw him do with the remnant and into the desert places where in Isaiah 35 it talks about Zion being re- reborn in the desert wilderness. So anyway, um, as far as Joseph Smith returning, I don't know. I don't know if there's a case for it. It seems like there is enough evidence. But people have taken evidence and, and drawn conclusions that uh, led them to false doctrine before. And until I get revelation on this subject, I'm not going to worry about it too much. It may be true. It may be false. I don't know. And if God wants me to know, that he will let me know in time. And I'm not worried about it. Anyway, so that's the end of the program for today. Like I said, we'll come back and read um, chapter 13, which starts on page 105, Paradise, A World of Spirits. And uh, in the description of the podcast on either blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon or the iTunes podcast, Zion's Redemption Radio Network for this program, if you click on the link at the bottom of the uh, of the podcast, um, or in the description, you'll find the link uh, for being able to read this chapter without my commentary. Although I do encourage people lis- to listen to my uh, commentary and read along with what I'm reading, and perhaps come to your own conclusions. In fact, I believe that we should all be prophets and that we should all get confirmation of the Spirit as to the truth of things. And so I am simply providing a place for consideration for different things. But I encourage you to uh, to cultivate a relationship with your Father in Heaven and with Jesus Christ and to receive revelation from the Father with confirmation of the Holy Spirit so that you can know the truth for yourself. Anyway, that's the end of the program. Thank you for listening. Take care, everyone. God bless and goodbye.